Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwestify, the podcast where we talk to people about business and tech in the Northwest. I'm here with my co-host, Zach Giorgio. Say hi, Zach. Hi, everybody. And really excited to have back on the podcast for the second time, we have Ben Scholey and Will of Distrelec. Hi, guys. Hey, hello. Hello. Great to have you both back in. I think this is a first for us, Zach, to have someone back in. First of many, I hope. Yeah. Really excited today because a lot will have changed for both of you and the business in the last uh, however long since we had you last on here. And I just, yeah, really keen to get to um, grips with that. But for people who are listening to this and did not hear the previous one, um, do you want to maybe just start off by telling us a bit about yourselves and the business? Ben, do you mind going first? Sure, sure, Candy. Um, so hi, I'm Ben. I'm the CIO of Distrolect Group. We're an electronics um, and maintenance spare parts specialist tools distributor, primarily business to business, headquartered um, in, in Switzerland, but with our main sort of center of digital excellence, if you like, in, in Manchester. Um, we moved to Manchester about five years ago. We've, we've been building um, a kind of, you know, a, a central office there ever since um and yeah last time we spoke to you we were kind of embarking on a big dri- sort of digitalization drive and, and really trying to scale our teams um and it's it's going pretty well um and yeah looking forward to to talking a bit more about that in the next hour brilliant ben thank you and i love that phrase digital excellence in manchester couldn't hear that too often brilliant um and will tell us uh, introduce yourself and tell us uh, what you do uh, so I'm Will. I'm head of product and UX at Distrelec. It's my job to look after the, the product management teams, the UX teams, um, designing that that digital digital future, digital proposition for the business. Um, we're moving much more. Our sales today about 50-50 online, offline. You know, we have some quite ambitious targets to move much more of that online over the next sort of four or five years. And so my team are responsible for delivering on that vision. Fantastic. Great to have you both back. So um, I might start then with you, Will. I want to, you've just mentioned something really interesting about that 50-50 blend of online and offline. I think that's probably, okay, lots of companies must be in the same position, but you would, nowadays people are tend to focus on one or the other, don't they? So how's that going for you? Like, what have you had to do to, or what are you planning to do to to bump up the, the online? So a lot of what we're looking at is trying to um, replicate the service that our sales teams uh, give to our customers online. Um, I always talk about John Lewis and kind of the John Lewis level of service you get in the store and how do we recreate that online. Obviously, my colleagues in Switzerland and Germany have no idea who John Lewis are and always look at me quite strangely when I when I use that example, but listeners in Britain will, will, will understand that. Um, so we sell very complicated products. Um, they're, they're mainly components and, you know, our customers... Um, are buying a product and need a level of information that is, is nothing like I've seen in any of the e-commerce business I've worked for. They have to make sure that component is going to work in that piece of equipment they're going to put it in. Um, it's essential to their production line and, and you know, keeping keeping their business, uh, business moving. Um, so they require a level of technical support from our sales teams, advice on whether they're buying the right product, um, and then potentially, you know, after sales, service or even getting advice and support from the manufacturer of the product and us connecting those two together so we're trying to look at what our sales teams are doing and how can we um how can we recreate that on the web and through digital channels 
um, because obviously we have a sales team that's a finite size. And if we're going to support more customers online, we need to find ways of actually delivering that level of service, that quality of service online. Um, that's not to say we're getting rid of our sales teams and we're going down the pure e-com sort of route. That's not our strategy. Um, we need them there. We need them to focus on our bigger customers and our customers that require more support. But we want to increase that level of support and, and help for customers um, so that everybody's getting the opportunity to get that uh, that level of, um, we call ourselves a, a full service uh, distributor. You know, we're not, we don't simply pile the stuff on the shelf and sell it. We know about the product. We know about the business we operate in. And, you know, we, we want to be a trusted partner for our customers. So it sounds like your salespeople are highly skilled, technical individuals. Not saying that not all salespeople are, I'm sure they are, but probably more so than maybe other industries. Is that fair? It is. We have certain individuals who are purely focused on that that technical support and helping customers actually specify. And quite often conversations will start with a customer of this is the problem we're trying to solve. What would you recommend? Um, but equally, we have customers who are perfect for an online offer because they know exactly what they want. They know the part number. Um, you know, they've, they've got a shopping list and they simply come to the site, they bang those things in and they check out and they want to do that as quickly and efficiently as, as possible. So we need to cater for all those different sort of personas, people that need that level of support and people that, you know, they're, they're electronics engineers, they're incredibly knowledgeable about their area of business, incredibly skilled customers. So for a lot of them, you know, they know exactly what they want. And we just need to make that as frictionless as possible. Fascinating. And it's great, again, coming back to what John said about having you guys back on board um, this first time returning guests, should we say. But um, what's interesting for me was you've obviously talked about that 50% online, 50% offline. Is that something that are you going to be wanting to move to 100% online or are you going to still try and have that blend? Was the big decision that was being made because of COVID that you wanted to change the blend? So I suppose the question I'm asking really, and I'll ask this to you, Ben, is, where were we pre-COVID? Was the decision made to move more online because of COVID? And where are we looking to go? Sure. So, I mean, we, we've always had an ambition to, to try and move um, more of our business to online channels. And it's, you know, primarily driven by it's a, it's a cheaper channel in terms of cost to serve. And, and it also allows, um, we, we will always have key sort of strategic accounts where we we will have a sales force to support them. Um, we're a multi-channel business. We will never be 100% e-com, and, and nor do we want to be, because there there will always be a you know a specific area of our customer base that that needs that personal management by a, a traditional sales team. But as a business, we we want to move more of our um, business online. Um, We've got an ambition in the next, I think, two or three years to get that to, you know, an order of about 75%, so 75% online, um, but still cognizant that there, there will always be an element of our customer base, whether it's big key strategic customers or whether it's customers who just have a preference to potentially send us a fax in Germany, for example, and we and we will always kind of support those customers and, and have that multi-channel model. But the aim is that for maybe our smaller B two B customers or the you know predominantly the, the vast majority of our some of the B two C customers we serve that we move those to to online only. You know I think we've we've seen a maybe a slight 
propensity to to switch to to online with covid but i'm not sure that's a big change in our customer behavior i think it it, it i may be unbiased but i think it is a result of we are making our online channels easier to do business on so the work that that will and team are doing um you know is is bearing fruit and it, it we, we you know we're trying to get it to a point that it it's the the channel of preference i guess um we're not doing anything particularly aggressive in terms of channel shift or putting barriers in place on our other channels at the moment we are you know we're going for a strategy of kind of build it and they will come um and that's 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 still the still the current strategy and we're you know we we've still got we've still got work to do to get it to that 75 percent ambition um but it is it's tracking in the in the right way yeah, and it's like you say, you know, I think we're seeing it more and more with businesses and just generally the whole shift in tech and it just becomes so much easier to manage stuff, doesn't it? You know, when you know it's online, you know it's there, you can go into your account, it's just there for, you know, the paper-based days are, I won't say they're over, but for a lot of businesses, they very much are over. So, yeah, it makes complete sense. Yeah. I mean, I think the the other element of our, our customer so it's not we're not just talking about web when we talk about kind of digital channels as well we do have some bigger b2b customers whether they're big automotive or um big sort of multinationals who who want to work with us digitally and we but not that won't go anywhere near a website and that we have a dedicated team to look at you know how we can integrate sort of b2b integration whether that's edi and api kind of stuff um and yeah, but but yeah, it's 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 definitely the future. But we we still have an element of our customer base that the customer base that, the, that you know that want to do business in 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 other channels, and we'll we'll continue to support that. That's really cool. And so that fifty to seventy five is that I'm guessing that's a blend of existing customers that you want to get off and sort of and growing the new channels, growing that channel as well, and not growing the as the the face to face channel as much, shifting people off. And more and getting focusing it on those bigger clients. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, it, there's an element of where we can channel shift. Whether that's a, one of our biggest strategic customers today that maybe you know sends in emails or faxes again for the example of maybe some of our uh, sort of IDAC customers. Um, whether, whether we can move them to bespoke you know solutions where where we have got you know maybe an EDI connection or we're opening up an API connection to them, but, uh, and then also just trying to promote the web and move, move customers to those channels. Um, and, and at the same time, focusing our, our acquisition into more sort of digital. And have you had to have conversations then with clients around this to say, you know, you, you said you weren't doing a big push, you were building it and they were coming, but at, to a certain extent, you have to do at least a bit of awareness. You know, what does that look like? Are you seeing pushback or or any, you know, I'm, I suppose I'm trying to think of this from the perspective of other businesses who are trying to do what you're now doing. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's that's a big part of it. We're talking to our customers a lot more now as a result of the, the program we're on, the digital transformation program. We're doing sort of monthly user testing. We now have a monthly web survey and we're getting a lot of feedback from that. And actually telling customers about some of the features and services we actually have on the web. Uh, and have on our digital channels is a big part of it because when we're talking to them they're saying oh it would be great if I could download uh, invoices instead of having to ring one of the sales team and you can do that in my account 
Um, you know, it would be great if I could allow people in my team to order on my behalf and I can just sign off and I can just approve their, their order. And again, we have that functionality in the websites now. We're just not promoting it very well to our customers. So a lot of what they're coming back and telling us they would like to see, we actually already deliver. I mean, don't get me wrong, we have a lot we need to build and a, and a lot of, of, um, of desires and, and things that they would like us to improve uh, that we need to deliver. But yeah, we've not done a good job in the past um, of actually telling customers about the services we already offer. Um, and so that's a big that's a big part of, of some of the work we've got to do, which is less about the IT and more about the communication. So I'm just interested in those surveys that you send out. Like, how do you, I mean, that's great because it's brilliant. You're like connecting with your users, you're getting their feedback, you're getting real users who are having concerns, whatever. But how do you, uh, discern what's one squeaky wheel from a genuine problem that needs to be solved like how do you prioritize that stuff coming in so when we we do a monthly web survey we do an mps survey that pops up on the web as lots of businesses do have you got five minutes to tell us about your experience and we we tend to look for trends in that data um so you know we will um we're, we're in the process of replacing our search engine we're in the process of, of bringing in a new search platform um, which will arrive sort of Q4 for most of our customers. AI-powered, uh, much more intelligent, learns the kind of brands and things the customer is looking for. But we we regularly in our monthly surveys see complaints and problems with search. It's, it's, not, it's not a one-off piece of noise. It's not a one-off blip. Um, if something goes wrong in our infrastructure, which you know all businesses have every now and then, you will see a pattern emerging. You will see regular uh, mention of, of an issue or, or a problem. And equally, when you fix it, you will see, you know, feedback. When we ask people, you know, what did you like about the experience? What did you enjoy? You will see positive feedback coming regularly. So we're actually looking at the moment for a platform uh, where we can store all this kind of information, which at the moment it relies on us and our user researcher, um, kind of the neural network in their head of making those connections in the patterns of information we're being given um, but yeah, we're actually looking at the moment for a, a software platform that will allow us to do that. Because obviously, the more we talk to customers, the more data we're generating, the more interviews we're saving, and eventually it reaches the point where you you're starting to not see uh, the nuggets of useful information from the noise. Brilliant, and and, and I'm I'm going to move off the, the the tech part and the product part because I'm sure John's going to want to come back more about that. I'm definitely sure he'll come back to it later on down the line. Um. I want to move on to we're hearing doom and gloom in the market. Inflation's going wild. We're going to have a recession at the end of the year. So two, two, two questions for me. And, and one is, is the market still robust? Is it still exciting? Is, is, is supply chain a problem for you nowadays and delivery and so on? Um, that's one aspect. The other aspect is uh, when you last came on, I know you're a, you're a, you're a Swiss business. How's that all going? And, and what's the biggest challenge? Is it, is it things like supply chain? Is it cost of products nowadays? Or, or, or does it come back to uh, my, my, my bag and that's recruitment? You know, where, where, where do the problems lie? I'll go first, if you like. There's a lot of questions there. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, I mean, it, f- first things first is, is we are um, we're doing really well. As a business, um, so we, yeah, the l- last time we spoke to you, we we would be, we'd been acquired by a German um, private equity uh, company called Aurelius. So we we were we were sold by our former former Swiss group um, to um, to German private equity who 
who kind of backed the the push into digitalization, helping us um, scale and and kind of grow our footprint. And that that's been really successful. We have scaled those teams. We've seen the OKRs that we're tracking are all moving in the right de- direction, and and we continue to you know Im- improve the kind of the digital estate. It's been it's been helped by the market, that's for sure. I don't think Will and I can stand here and say it's it's all down to, to what we've done. Um, but we, you know, we, we've we've had favorable market conditions in in terms of most of our markets are in growth in terms of the, the sort of the electronics industry. Um we've we've got some areas like automotive. Um you'll you'll probably be be, be you know here well aware of the supply chain issues in some of those areas and 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 some of our business um, is semiconductors, where where there are supply chain challenges. Um, I mean, across our business, we have supply chain issues. I think, like everybody else, coming out of of COVID, we've got exposure to um, to the Far East. Um, so at the moment, we've got big challenges with with getting stuff through Shanghai. We've got specific product lines where where we have big big issues um you know on on uh, just on on forward forward orders but the i think some of our success is down to we've got a great supplier management team purchasing team who've, who've really managed that so we've kind of got ahead of the curve we've got the stock um, and, and in our business, we're high service. So if you've got the stock on the shelves, that's half the battle. And that that's really, I think, helped. Um, that's been a part part of our success, as well as the, the digital proposition that I would say, you know, um, it's been a big, big part of that success as well. In, in terms of other challenges that we've got on top of supply chain, I think the... Um, the biggest one is, is is recruitment actually and people. So we've you know we we have massively scaled the teams in terms of product management and development. We you know in terms of product management and UX, we're not alone in 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 the journey that we're on to to try and do what we're doing. Um, there's an awful lot of other people that are doing it, and I think COVID and the push, you know, online to, to digitalization. It, we're, we're in the boat with a lot of other people. Development resource as well. We're still, uh, we work with Hybris. It, it, it's hard to find those skills in, in the UK. So we're still um, dependent on, you know, some nearshore um, and, and offshore partners that we work with. Luckily, we've got really good partners in that space. So we, we, we've been able to scale. But yeah, you know, re- recruitment, and it, it's not just in digital, but across our whole business, whether it's product managers looking after our, our actual product for- portfolio, supplier management, marketing, it, it really is a, a tough market at the moment to, to recruit the right people. Yeah, and, 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 and thanks for that. And um, it's still good to see that the, the general business is robust and everything's exciting. And sometimes you, what you hear, what's going on out there and, or what you're being told is going to happen and stuff like that. can sometimes put a negative spin on it. But everyone that I speak to is exactly the same. You know, The reality of it is, is that if you do have strong buying team, if you are ahead of the curve, if you are on top of stuff, and I completely understand what you're saying there as well, because the demand will be high because somebody will need something immediately from you guys, won't they, if there's a problem. Yes. So, so I can sort of get that. But yeah, I think the reality of it is, and I don't want to just harp on about recruitment, but the reality of it is there's just not enough people and not enough skilled people in the world, never mind in the UK, in the world, to, to deliver the 
speed that we're going at because everyone's going at some speed aren't they and even from when I met you John six years ago seven years ago nearly now and it's nowhere near as fast paced as what it is now I think since COVID it's really 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 brought to the forefront I think your particular comment there of it's not just us lots of people are trying to do this I think that is a COVID thing. I do. I generally think that is something that has made lots of businesses wake up and go, shit, we really need a really strong online presence and we need it now because if anything was to happen again, we're not going to get caught with our pants down this time. So, yeah. And so something I want to bring in, like one, you know, one thing that has shifted is, I mean, it's always been a good market for your developer right it's, it's been strong for a long time but we we know we've all seen the kind of growth particularly recently um and i think employers have always focused on like how do we hire and retain the best people and it's obviously it's, it's about working with great companies like chroma recruitment right no but it's, <laughs> it, no it's about it is about obviously getting the right partners to get the message out but it's actually also about once they're in and you've got the bumps on the seats retention and money's part of that and everyone does what they can, but we're all, you know, every business hasn't got 20% more revenue than they had a year ago. And yet that's what salaries are doing. So then you have to go, what else, what am I going to do as an employer? And I think one thing that keeps coming back and back is like the culture piece and, you know, what you're doing there and what, what else you're adding people spend a third of their life, their wake, you know, and the waking life, doing their job so what else are you offering so um i don't know if like one of you wants to come in on that one yeah sure i mean it's absolutely key on you know on on the culture piece so yeah obviously we benchmark every year and and we try and pay attractive salaries but you know if if you look at if you look at kind of manchester it's super red hot and and i think you can get if you can get caught in a in a cycle of trying to just outbid everybody that's 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 not sustainable unless you've got you know gross way in excess of, of what we what we do um but i and i think you know yeah obviously you've got to pay market rate and you've got to pay people an attractive salary but that's only a, a small part of it i think is it, it is it's all about having the right culture it, it's making sure that the work is engaging and valuable that i think we're seeing that more and more you know, when we're recruiting people, it's it's about what are they working on, the the kind of processes and practices, and how much autonomy they have, um, how are they, you know, kind of working cross functionally, and 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 that that is getting more and more important in kind of product management and UX, and then also the just the the, the technical work on the other side in terms of the tech stack and and what people are going to be doing. Um, so I I think that's you know it's it, it's some of the work. But it's, I think that what we have it, you know, in, in Distrelec in spades is, is just, just a great bunch of people who are super engaged. It's a great kind of culture to come and join. And that's the biggest factor that helps us, I think, retain people and keep them engaged is that, that team that they, that they join. And I think the other aspect of it is, is that story, is that vision. Um, you know, when you talk to people in first interviews or in second interviews, um, you actually, this is the journey we're going on. We're, we're looking to move towards, you know, 75% online orders. Uh, we want to introduce new technologies so that people can contact us and solve their problems through different channels. Um, when you can share that vision and you can actually say to somebody, 
that's that's the direction we're heading in we don't have the exact plan but you can join us and you can help us shape that you know you're not coming into an organization where you're going to be told what to do you have the autonomy to actually help and influence that and as we've gone through this digital transformation you know we're starting to see developers who in the kind of worst of cases and worst of scenarios were simply working through jira tickets and and weren't really involved in the why are we doing this you know now they're seeing the difference that their work is making and that's a real motivation for people as well as well as you know the money and the flexible working and all the, all the other kinds of things but actually being able to be part of that journey and you know put your two penneth into how we should deliver it and how we should get there is is really important for people there yeah, it's totally. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, ultimately, when it comes down to it, comps and bends has to be right or within the realms of tolerance. But in addition to that, you've got to have the right type of tech. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be interesting. And then you've got to have the right sort of benefits and look after your people from that perspective. And if you can get all of those things mapped in, you know, you've got a very, very good chance of securing the talent. It's as simple as that. Because the other thing that will happen as well, people move for the wrong reasons. And they move for the money. And what happens is when that shifts, it's a little bit like house prices. You know, they shift, don't they? And they shift up and then they stay there for a while and people then start moving again. It's exactly the same from, from, a, from a job perspective. It's the salaries have moved up to here, but a lot of people took actually not the right job or the right company. They went for the money. And then what happens is if you've got those additional little ingredients that we talked about there, exciting proposition, exciting things happening, great culture, autonomy, and so on, then what will happen is those people that move for the money will go, actually, I'm not happy here anymore. And then they'll move on to the right company. So, you know, for me, it's absolutely spot on. And again, I don't know if yourself, Will, or yourself, Ben, that mentioned that the Manchester market is hot. Um, just touch on that. You made the decision, didn't you, all those years ago to come to Manchester. Still the right decision? Absolutely, still the right decision. Um, you know, and and it's it's not just digital. We've we've got our traditional products, not online and digital products, but the the the, the team that look after our product selection, uh, our supplier management, purchasing, um, to you know, marketing as well. And and it it was the right decision. I think we've we've grown an amazing team. I think it took longer <laughs> than we thought. And we, uh, we, we were one of, well, we weren't the first for sure, but when, when we did it, um, that, you know, there weren't maybe some of the bigger names that had sort of chosen Manchester, uh, after the fact. So it's, it's definitely got more competitive and, you know, we've seen lots of other people do what, what we did, but yeah, it, was it the right move? I, I, I think so. Just, just on the strength of the, the team that we've built there. Um, and continue to build, um, albeit you know it's getting it's getting harder and it's it's taking more work. When when we first joined, you know that the, there were it was definitely an easier easier job to to, to find people. But yeah, still still the right call. I think. I also don't see it slowing down either. I think that's what the interesting thing. I think Manchester is for me is not going to slow down. No. You know, we've still seen an incredible amount of investment, and actually when you actually break it down from a, uh, I suppose, a, a, a living standard or house price standard compared to the Southeast, we've still got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. We're still for, for a very big city with lots and lots going on. Um, okay, take away the weather. Apart from that, 
it's got everything going for it, hasn't it? So um, there's no doubt in my mind that everything will continue to rise, whether or not the government talk about levelling up. I don't know whether that's actually a thing in, in all honesty, but ultimately there's still a long way to go. And we've seen that because more and more people are choosing to move from the other parts of the country, in particular the south, to the northwest, because they just get so much more for what they can have. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> a million pounds for a two-bed flat in London or... You know, it sounds ridiculous, isn't it? But it's probably an average two-bed flat in London. That's probably that amount of money when you think you can get up here still. So, I've just I've just come off a one-to-one, and um, someone I'm working with has just told me he's moving to Devon. I'm like, that's cool. Like he's just up and moving because you can now. Um, but I want to come back to something that actually both of you mentioned separately, but sort of one after the other was you know, about that culture piece, but actually about what people are coming to work for, and it's that meaning. Um, you know, and they get their meaning through the vision. And I think you connect the vision through the OKRs for what one way of doing it, not the only way. Um, but one thing we we sort of saw with developers, if I go back a few years, was this sort of agile movement where we're putting the team back in in charge. And that worked very well for I say a long time until corporates caught hold of this and government said, Hey, we need to be doing agile with a capital A now. And then it became an industry. And it all went a bit south, in my opinion. But now we're seeing a resurgence of that where I think we're going, no, actually, we need to go back to what we said before, what we're saying about, which is autonomy, because that's the piece that they, that the, the corporates, or let's say corporates, wanted to take out of that. They would say, we'll give you agile, but you can't have autonomy. And it's like, well, it's not agile then, is it really? And I, I'm glad that, you know, you both sort of picked up on that because I think that's key to people getting meaning in their work. And if, if anyone's hanging a big paycheck in front of you, it's probably because they're missing something somewhere else. You know, so. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think, you know, that that's that's what we, we are, it's kind of in our DNA of, of what we're trying to do is is drive that autonomy. So it's it's not only, you know, having a, a product manager and with the right UX resource so that they understand they're closer to the customer and know, within their domain, what they should be doing and, and have that autonomy, frankly, to, to prioritize and determine what is on their roadmap for, you know, the area that, that, that they've, um, they've got responsibility for, but, but also how, you know, we, we've, we've kind of moved away from, like, like Will mentioned, we, we used to have, a, you know, development teams that, that were just given work by by the product management team or or uh, or you know whomever um whether it was just the highest highest paid opinion it was just this is what you're doing here's your ticket get on with it and what what we've what we've tried to do is build this this what we've called a tech lead role but where we've got a lead developer in in each domain team who's you know on an equal footing with a product manager that's involved earlier in in sort of determining what what are we going to do and they've they've got a voice of as well as as well as should we even be doing it but also how do we do it so it is just about trying to grow that autonomy grow that responsibility make let people you know get get a voice and and get involved in those decisions earlier yeah and the only, i mean the only thing i would say you know i'm harping on about autonomy it's not easy you can't just like switch you know flip a switch and give team autonomy and expect it to work like you have to put stuff in place and show them how and then let them take control and piece by there's a lot of parts to it right but 
I think it's more and more important than ever. And just exactly what you said, like not just delivering stuff, but delivering value. And that's, that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's about growing that autonomy. It's about setting frameworks and boundaries. Um, you know, the, the, this is the area in which you can flex that autonomy. And, you know, for some of the businesses you've talked about that are, uh, maybe worried about that you know you can you can work in an agile manner but not the autonomy you know you can you can start to give that and as people as as you know the business develops more trust in those people and you know because it is a big leap of faith um in the way we've moved to actually move to the squad based setup and bring in product managers that are going to make decisions about things versus a chief exec telling us what to do and in what order um but as they build up the the faith and confidence with us you know we used to have very regular meetings where we shared roadmaps with them and said, this is what we're doing and kind of got a sort of sign off. Um, but those meetings have stopped now. They only happen once a quarter and it's, it's a much broader, the whole leadership team of the business doing it. So, you know, you can set a framework and guidelines for actually starting with a relatively small amount of autonomy and then making it, you know, expanding it as you get more confident, but also as the teams themselves get more confident. Uh, because that's been an interesting one with some of our product managers that have stepped up from other roles. Um, you know, in the early days, um, they were coming to me and saying, can I do this? And it's like, that's your call. You make that decision. Um, and, you know, it is kind of, you have to get used to actually doing that and and just making a decision and going, okay, this this is the decision I'm making. This is the reason why I'm making them um, and, and putting that out there. Um, you know, it, it's a skill that needs developing in the teams as much as people being given uh, you know, the leash being taken off and allowing them to do it. Amazing. It's, it, it just shows you, doesn't it, that people still need to adapt to that. People still need to, you know, people want that deep down, but they still need to adapt to that. And it just shows how many businesses probably still aren't doing that. Um, but it certainly works because I can see it in my own business, you know. I can see uh, my own behaviour as well as, a, as, a, as an owner of the business and somebody who runs the business just giving more and more autonomy to your team gives more and more accountability. And it's exciting to watch as well because people mature as well on that journey. Um, I can't believe it. I can't believe we've been recording for nearly 40 minutes already. So we're coming towards the end, believe it or not. So what would you say is the next exciting part? What, what, could, what tips can you give us before we finish off today? Um, one for anybody joining Distrolect or just generally tech industry or even moving to Manchester we know what the answer to that one is now I mean I think have, have an open mind and, and kind of get involved would be the advice of, of joining Distrolect I think one of, one of the great things we have is we have a really flat hierarchy we have a really open culture and that's something I'm really proud of um, that you know come and get involved I'm biased but I think it's a great place to work and it's a great place to be um, so yeah that would be my advice to anyone thinking of coming to join Distrolect well, uh, largely the same. I think, you know, come and talk to us. If, if, you, if you see a role being advertised and you're not sure you're the right fit for it, then, you know, have the conversation. We're happy to have the, the conversation with you or, you know, talk to, talk to recruiters, talk to Chroma. Um, you know, we can, we're, we're happy to share more of that story and, and talk about things. We're, we're not, we don't have a trading presence in the UK. You can't walk into one of our stores and understand what we're about. You do need to, you do need to talk to us. But I think when we do share that with people, um, you know, I'm going to blow my own trumpet now here, but we uh, we did a second interview recently with a candidate and one of the questions, standard interview questions was why Distrolect, why do you want this role? 
And uh, she said, because of what Will told me in the first interview. And I think if you can, if you can, if you can share that story, and they can see it's genuine, and they can see see that sort of passion in it, um, then you know people will will come. And in terms of looking after them, you know, in Manchester, every new starter at Distrolet gets a branded umbrella. Um, since day one, we've we've always looked after our staff and the uh, the northwest weather. Um, I'm slightly biased. I'm, I'm from the other side of the Pennines, so you know, um, the weather's definitely wetter in Manchester. But yeah, we we you know we make sure we cater for all our employees' needs. Great. And I've got a couple of questions. Well, a question for both of you really was: uh, You've been on this. Well, let's call it a digital transformation journey for you know a year plus now. Any advice you would have given to your former self a year ago? Well, so so my my advice to my former self would be don't try and do too much. I think we came up with this uh, this amazing transformation plan. We were really excited about what it could deliver, and so it was right. Well, next month we're going to do this. We're going to introduce that. We're going to sort this out. We're going to fix this. And very quickly, we, we, the plan was slipping and we just weren't delivering. And, you know, we were also um, all the product managers, UX people were spending as much time on the transformation and all the work and thinking that needed around that as they were on their day job and their day job was suffering. And so, yeah, we, you know, we realized that after a few months and, and applied the break and slowed down that transformation. And, and since then, we've certainly, um, we've certainly seen improvements in that and I think it's a similar story with the recruitment side um, you know there's there's a I think at the moment you, you get a candidate you get a CV they're talking to other companies they've maybe got an offer and you, you know you've got to read this CV now and make a decision um, but actually for me I'm quite happy to lose a few opportunities even if they are quite rare because I want that cultural fit I want somebody to fit in my team and squad and in the wider business properly and so I don't really want to be rushed into making that decision or taking somebody on because actually they're the only candidate we've had in a while, but they don't quite fit. Um, you know, I would rather rather wait and again, take time and make sure you're doing it right and make sure you're doing it properly and you're recruiting for the right reasons. Yeah, I, I totally echo exactly what Will said. Um, I mean, we had a very ambitious plan and it, yeah, it was hard work and I think um, a kind of advice to myself would, would maybe be just start a bit smaller and maybe not be quite as aggressive and, and ambitious. And, and yeah, completely echo just protecting that culture. So it is a tough market. It's hard to find people, but better to wait until you get the right candidate and protect that culture rather than just be feel the pressure and 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 then don't don't get the right individual so just hold hold out for the right people i'd like to add to that as well john if you don't mind me answering the question go on go ahead zach george um uh, no i'm totally with the guys actually there you know I, i've spent many a year going right we've got to grow we've got to be ahead blah 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 bothered very much about what everybody else was doing wanting to be the the quickest the fastest the best etc and 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 what i've realized is is as i've slowed down myself and realized that yeah this plan might be ambitious they won't hit immediately but as long as i get there you know that's the key as long as i get there and making sure that i am building the culture in what I see is what I want our culture to be, which is the, 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 the values that we hold as a business. And I think you can sometimes get very carried away, particularly as the owner, the founder, the head of, uh, head of department, head of the business, whatever, to, to try and get there as fast as you possibly can do. And actually, you know, I suppose it's the tortoise and the hare scenario, isn't it? You can get there and sometimes, you know, build the foundations correctly and actually 
you end up being in a lot better place. And I certainly feel that our business, again, same as you guys, tailwind with us. You don't have a tailwind. There's nothing worse than going into a headwind, but tailwind with us, you know, I don't see it abating, but we've actually, our results have been phenomenal this year, better than what I could have ever expected as well. But in addition to that, the platform that we have to go to the next level now and the structure that we have, we're a far better business. You know, if we hadn't have hit the revenue that we'd hit, and I'm really proud of that, but we'd have come out of it with the structure and the platform and what we've got today, then I'd have been really happy as well. You know, to have the tailwind behind you (laughs) massively helps. (laughs) So, yeah, there you go, John. Brilliant. Thank you, Zach. And uh, thank you, Ben and Will. Really interesting to hear today about your business and what you've been doing the last year and the culture and the autonomy and the vision um, and how it all lines up. So uh, it was really interesting for me to hear. It was great, um, great to and fro, lots of good answers. And I'll probably listen back even myself. Zach? I've just got one thing to add. Any of our listeners, anywhere that's listening, they are a great place to work and they're great people to work with as well. It's a two-way street. You know, it's great to work with both Will and Ben and several of the other team members like Paul. It's an absolute pleasure. And anyone that is listening, absolutely go and speak to these guys. And it's a it's a pleasure to work with Chrome as well. I mean, you know, we haven't done it all ourselves, so you've been a big part of, of attracting that and that talent and, and building that culture. So, thank you. Cheers, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. A, a great way to end it. Thank you very much. And if you want to get in touch with Northwest Fire, we're available in the usual places. Uh, we're on LinkedIn, both Zach and myself, and also we have a website. You can search for Northwest Fire. Thank you very much. Thank you.